Well, good evening, church, and welcome again to our Sunday night teaching time. Soul food, the things you need to know about your Bible. Oh, and this is the last teaching in this series next Sunday night. We're going to start a new series. I'm, I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm kind of pumped about it. The parables. We're going to go through all the parables of Jesus. Laws from heaven for life on earth. So plan on that starting next Sunday night. So as we wrap up this series, I've entitled it, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. You'll see where that slogan, that phrase comes from. Our text is Acts chapter 20. Get a Bible. Acts chapter 20, verses 29 to 35. Paul is the speaker to the church at Ephesus. Acts 20, starting at 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. He doesn't mean the animal wolves. He's talking about false teachers. 30. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. That's interesting. 32. And here's the title phrase. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. 33. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands of mine ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. There are a few verses in the whole Bible that I love more than verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. One day down the road when I leave this church, that will be my parting text when I speak. Those are Paul's parting words to the elders of the church at Ephesus. And I love the description of the revelation from God, the scriptures, the way he calls it, the word of God's grace. And I love it because it directs my mind back to the truth about God's word and away from error. Now, here's the error. If I'm not very careful, I can easily link Bible study more to duty than to grace, the word of his grace. I mean, I know I should read my Bible. I must read my Bible. And whenever I have to do something, it's easy for the life giving nature of it to kind of dry up. I mean, if, if I do what I must do well, then I'm fulfilling an obligation. And if I don't do what I must do well, then I'm under guilt and condemnation. And either way, the, the life has sort of gone out of what should have been a, the word of his grace and a love for God's grace. I said there was both error 
and a truth in that 32nd verse. Now, here's the, here's the true part. God's word is a grace producer. That's why Paul calls it, 32, the word of his grace. How much of God's grace do you need today? A lot? Well, that's why God's given you the scriptures. It, it, it helps take dirty lives and make them clean. Fearful lives and make them more courageous. Ugly lives, make them more beautiful. Disorganized lives, give them meaning and purpose. Discouraged lives, giving joy. Imprisoned lives, giving freedom. It's, it's a grace-producing word. That's the, the true part. The word of God's grace. It's the truth. It's the truth that... Uh, Hundreds and hundreds of Christians need to hear. God's word is a fountain of grace. It, it does nothing but good. Since the fall of mankind, Satan has had only one lie. And his one lie is, we will live better, stronger, happier lives, believing our own inclinations rather than filling up our minds and hearts with the word of his grace. No wonder Paul says he commends these people, ties them intimately. That's what that word means, to God's word. I see two directions that I want to cover in our text. One is growing deep into the grace of the word, and the other is reaching out with the grace of the word. And I think we need both those directions in a healthy church. We need to grow deep and then deeper still, into the word of God's grace, and then we need to reach out and reach out further still with the message of that grace. So point number one, we need to grow deep because there will be a constant flow of lies and deception against the truth of God's word. Look what, look what Paul says in verses 29 to 31. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering, there's the verb, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. This is the last time Paul will teach this church and its leaders. And it's, it's emotionally charged. You can see that in 37 and 38. There was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul, kissed him being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken, that he would, they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Everybody's crying. I mean, you choose your words carefully when you know they're the last ones you're going to say to somebody. And, and Paul takes this last opportunity to repeat what he's been telling them, apparently, 31, with Tears, he's been telling them something, weeping, for three years. 
Now these are texts, these are Paul's last words. But he, he knows that his words to the church are not going to be the last message this church at Ephesus is going to hear. He tells them that. Right in the church, there is going to arise teachings that will pull Christians away from the truth of the gospel and the word of God's grace. Paul says, 31, that he he warned them about this for three years with tears. And I'm thinking, why tears? Well, because Paul knew, like any good pastor knows, that this is the one warning the flock may not take seriously enough. Paul wept as he warned because he knew how hard it was to to impress on people who are already saved just how urgently truth needs to be guarded and studied and memorized and restudied and retreasured and redevoured over and over again. He knows how hard it is to make them see the importance of that. The hard part is never discovering the truth. The hard part is always holding on to the truth. Oh, people, I mean, they love miracles. They love good worship. They love big gatherings. They love fellowship. They love projects. But it is easy, unless you're really careful, to develop the mindset that because because we're saved by the truth of the gospel and we know some of the basic doctrines, that we're automatically unshakable in that truth. And that's not true of me, and it's not true of anyone. That's why, one more time, weeping, Paul says to these dear saints, verse 32, I commend you to the word of his grace. It's a pretty carefully chosen word. Paratithemy, commend. It means to lay right alongside, to place right up against. The way you would have a pencil and a ruler and the pencil is right on the edge of the ruler and stays there. That's, that's, what, that's what he means when he says, I commend you to the word of his grace. Now, the reason he does this is spelled out in 29 and 30. Paul says, weeping, I know that after my departure... Sure as anything, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves, he's talking to the elders at this church, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. So so there are two reasons for Paul summoning these Christians back to the word of God's grace. One is obvious. The other is less obvious. I want to look at the less obvious reason first. So this is A. The first and less obvious reason for abiding in the word of God's grace is that only abiding continually will bring God's eternal inheritance into their lives. Now, he actually says that. He says that in verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, look, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance. He's talking about the word of his grace. It's able to give you the inheritance 
among all those who are sanctified. So that inheritance, they, they don't have it fully yet. It's still to come. But, but what is it? It's referred to quite a bit in the New Testament. Let me just give you a few references. It's referred to in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of, our, of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. One more. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So you put them together and a lot of others, and we'll see this, this inheritance is really the entrance into the kingdom of God. We see that unbelief and sin can keep people from receiving the inheritance. All these things are entered into here and now, but aren't fully manifested until the end of the age. And, and Paul says in our text, the complete delivery of this inheritance is tied to abiding in the word of God's grace. And now I commend you to God, 32, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So, so think about what we're saying here. In other words, it's not just some past experience with the word of God's grace that brings about the inheritance. It's the ongoing power of divine grace manifested in a life abiding in the word of God's grace. That's what brings about this inheritance, the giving of the inheritance. So, so my life is to be so shaped by the word of God's grace today that it causes me to hate sin today, now, presently, causes me to love the truth more and more today causes me to embrace holiness more and more today, causes me to resist temptation more and more today. That, that's why Paul makes this point in our text in the way he describes the word of God's grace as, as a building word. See what he says? 32, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. That's important. The grace of the word is, it's constantly constructing. It's always building. It's always in process. It never just fully arrives and stops. It's not static. It's aiming at that complete future inheritance. And, it, and it's, it's right at this point that we find the first reason for caution in the face of a world's system, a culture that pushes against love for Christ. We are, none of us, immune 
to the proud heart that would just assume spiritual safety based on years of walking with the Lord, some kind of accomplishments. That's why I need this picture of Paul committing these elders at Ephesus, these spiritual leaders, commending them to the word of God's grace now. It's in the present tense. Do you see that 32nd verse? And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able right now to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. So we need to, we need to uh, grow in the word of his grace presently, constantly, ongoingly. That's the first thing I see in the text. But there's a second point, B. The second reason we need to grow deep in the word of God's grace, this proud tendency to rely on past encounters with grace. That's, that's the first. The second is the increasing tolerance of false teaching in the church of Jesus Christ. You can see it in 29 to 31. Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. So here we see the context for an unbreakable law in the Christian life. The power of truth is never, not ever, self-sustaining in the Christian mind and heart. So the spirit of the age, the surrounding culture, never lets truth alone. It never lets truth, divine truth, go unchallenged. The enemy constantly posts counter-arguments. Notice that the most urgent diligence must be directed against untruths that arise in the church itself. Paul seems to want to emphasize that. He says it, he says it once and then immediately says the same thing again. I want you to notice that. If you look at 29 and 30 together, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. That's the first Reference, not sparing the flock, and that from among your own selves, he repeats it, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Now, interestingly, they won't do that while Paul is right there. They'll wait till he's gone. But once Paul's gone, leaders will teach ideas that will be, boy, like, like the fangs of a wolf in a lamb. That's what he says. They'll teach things that'll be like wolf fangs to divine truth. Away forever with this idea that false teaching is is, uh, somehow kind and tolerant. It's not. It's, It's violent. It's cruel. It's unloving even though it it proclaims what people might like to hear, it tears tender flesh off the bones of God's children. Any kind of theological error tolerated is always 
first and foremost, an unloving act to the church. I like this quote from John Piper. It's, it's a little longer than maybe I'd normal read, normally read, but listen to these words as it relates to false teaching in the church, how it happens and why. He says, let me mention one feature to watch out for in the recognition of wolves. He's talking about this very text. As I have watched the movement from biblical faithfulness to liberalism in persons and institutions that I've known over the years, this feature stands out. An emotional disenchantment with faithfulness to what is old and fixed. And an emotional preoccupation with what is new or fashionable or more relevant in the eyes of the culture. Let's try to say it another way. When this feature is prevalent, you don't get the impression that a person really longs to bring his mind and heart into conformity with fixed biblical truth. No. Instead, you see the desire to picture biblical truth as unfixed, more fluid, indefinable, distant, inaccessible, and so open to the trends of the day. So what marks a possible wolf in the making is not simply that he or she rejects any particular biblical truth, but that he isn't deeply oriented on the Bible. Commend you to God and to the word of his grace. He is more oriented on experience. He isn't captured by the great faith once for all delivered to the saints. Instead, he's enamored with what's innovative, what's new. So for both these reasons, we need to be constantly growing deep into the word of his grace. And I have just one more thought and we're almost done. So point number one, we need to grow deep and deeper still into the word of his grace. False teachers will arise. The only thing harder than learning truth is holding on to truth. That's the first point. Secondly, point number two, we need to reach out with the word of God's grace because the only sure sign of having received God's grace is extending it. So first, we have to make sure we have a faithful message to export. It isn't just how many people do we reach? How many missionaries are sent? How far are we going? How are things being translated? That's a big part of it. But first and foremost, what, what are we exporting? Is it a faithful message? But then once grace is received, the second part is it needs to be extended. This is the last thing Paul leaves with these saints in Ephesus. It's covered in verses 33 to 35. Paul says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. Took care of a whole bunch of people working. 35. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You have to know Paul's heart in those words. He's, he's not bragging here. He's, he's trying to set an example. That's especially true in verse 
34, because he says, by working with these hands, I took care of my own needs and those who were with me. Paul had people with him in ministry. He had people who traveled and represented him. He had young leaders like Timothy. Luke was with Paul. Probably there were others that we know nothing about. And Paul said he worked hard with his hands, but not just to meet his own needs. There was ministry to be carried out. And that's the example that Paul holds out to these saints in Ephesus. And remember, this is the last face-to-face session with them. What would he say? He's talking about commending them to the word of God's grace. Very well. Very important. What happens? What happens when people receive that word properly? What happens when people grow and live in the word of God's grace. And the thing, the one thing Paul points out is, first they adhere to the truth first, but the other thing is, people who receive the word of God's grace will follow his example. They don't just bank their money. They minister with their money. They use their time to extend the kingdom. This is what gladdens their hearts the most. There is, I'm sorry, but there's a, a, a sick kind of twisted truth that's, that has made its way through many, many evangelical churches. And I want to just denounce it as bluntly as I possibly can. Just, just away forever with the myth that people who are concerned with teaching and propositional truth and doctrinal truth, that they're dividing the church, while people who de-emphasize teaching and doctrinal truth, they're the culturally hip ones that are just uniting everything. It isn't so. It isn't so. The word of God's grace is, is the only Christ-pleasing fuel for compassion, just as it's the only Christ-pleasing fuel for holiness. The word of God's grace, that truth, it keeps the church exporting a truly transforming message. What does the word of God's grace build into our lives when we truly believe it? Well, our text says. People who are growing deep in the word of his grace have the back of greed broken in their hearts. They have a noble indifference to spending money just as consumers. They are the ones. They are the only ones in the whole world. People devoted to biblical truth are the only ones in the whole world with a big enough motivation for a compassionate reach and touch. So there they are. The last recorded words in person from Paul to these leaders at Ephesus. And it's not a surprising message really at all. Remember the words of Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So, preach the word of his grace. Preach the word of his grace truthfully, faithfully, consistently. And you know what you'll end up with? You'll end up with a church that loves, loves reaching the lost. I've seen it. We've seen it here at Cedar View Community Church. There's nothing fancy. We teach this book week by week by week, and people love to share that message with the world. Let's pray. Thank you for the word of your grace. 
Help us never to just assume truth. Help us to cherish it, to hold on to it, to study it. Not just to have big heads, but to have big hearts in reaching the world with a gospel that we have grown to love and treasure in ever-deepening ways. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for the, your word, the word of your grace. Let it produce fruit 30, 60, 100-fold in all of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray and thank you. Amen. Bless church. See you next Sunday morning. See you for our Look in the Book series, too. God bless.